everybody, and welcome to Sorry I'm All Booked, the podcast by librarians and for librarians. I'm your host, Emily Golightly, and you're listening to episode number six. For those faithful listeners who've been around since the very first episode, thank you for your patience. As a full-time librarian and mom of two teens, not to mention a board member of multiple literacy organizations, life has been a little crazy since the last episode, and I haven't had as much time to put out a new out new content as I would have liked. However, I'm very excited to be back because I've missed doing this so much, and I love talking with you all about books, literacy, and our impact on students and the world. In today's episode, I'll be interviewing my friend Lauren Simmons, a specialist in early childhood education and a former colleague who recently completed her library science degree. She and I will be chatting about engaging read-aloud strategies and how these strategies can help bring those stories to life for our students. I will also review my latest reads, share listener questions, and we will talk about what's ahead on on the next podcast episode. So let's jump right in. everybody. This is Emily with a um, special guest today, my good friend, Lauren Simmons. She also has an educational background and we actually used to teach together at Moorhead City Primary School many years ago. And uh, so I'm really excited to have her on to talk about early literacy strategies and how to engage our littlest readers. So First of all, you and I have something in common that I think is so neat. We were both North Carolina teaching fellows. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this scholarship program, it's a four-year scholarship that covers almost all of the university costs in exchange for an agreement that we teach four years in the state of North Carolina. So I would love to hear just a little bit about how that experience impacted or prepared you as an educator. Well, I, I'm really glad that you led with this question. I actually did not know that both of us were, um, so I'm glad you remembered that. Uh, Emily, where were you uh, teaching fellow at? East Carolina. Go Pirates! Okay so, okay. <laughs> okay, so I just really felt like that was one of those programs that sort of gave you a broad picture of what education would look like across the state. Um, However, I'm in Virginia now, and so I felt prepared even to move from one state to another, but also I felt like it was sort of like the best of the best. And there were just um, so many opportunities in that program, um, especially at East Carolina, Uh, Our um, advisors were specialized, so they would give good advice. I felt like I was in the classroom a lot from the get-go, which I think is huge. I was never questioning, did I really want to be a teacher by the time I was student teaching? I just, I felt ready. And so I think that program is just so unique and provided that experience to just really get me started from the get-go. Well, and I absolutely agree with you. The travel opportunities, getting to see different types of schools all over the state, it really did open my eyes because, you know, we both grew up in a small eastern North Carolina county. And, you know, having had that experience from K through 12, I hadn't had the chance to see a lot of these other places. And so it did open my eyes as well. 
So as we mentioned briefly to the audience when we first started, um, we actually got to work together years ago when you were teaching in North Carolina. And thanks to social media, we've kind of stayed in touch since then. So I would love for you to tell our audience a little bit about your background and working with young children in literacy, as well as what your current role is. Well, I've kind of been all over the place. I have um, taught public school pre-kindergarten and kindergarten. Um, I have served as an early interventionist. Um, so I have worked with children from birth through age three in a special education setting. I have um, gotten, I work for the Center for Advanced Study of Teaching and Learning. So I, something I didn't think I would do. <laughs> Well, and that area of librarianship seems so interesting to me. I haven't had a ton of opportunities to do that yet, but hearing other people talk about it, it does seem really fascinating. Do you want to share any little nuggets about your experience with that? I mean, it's just, it's, it's really interesting to be able to sort of delve into reading research papers more and becoming more familiar with that part of um, helping teachers grow in their teaching and write papers about their teaching. So I just have to, I have to be, it's really interesting because I use a part of my brain that I used when I was teaching and then mm -hmm. some library mm -hmm. stuff. And so I kind of mesh it together and it's just, it's really interesting. Plus I get to interact with mostly people who are teachers and that's really fun for me. Well, and I do think there's been more of a push in recent years to encourage just regular classroom teachers to have more of that action research, yes. not just people that are seeking a master's, but just wanting to better their craft and figure out, well, if I do this, what's going to happen? How can I tweak that and make it better? You know, just being yes. reflective practitioners. And it's not just something that certain teachers do that, oh, I want to get my national boards. Maybe I should think about this. I mean, I think it's becoming really more normalized, which I love because I think it makes us all yes. better for each other on, you know? Yes. And I even talk to Head Start teachers, um, people who work in childcare centers. So, I mean, the discussions I get to have span the realm of early childhood and it's not just a typical, I'm a kindergarten teacher and I'm getting my national boards and I need to know. And it's, it's a lot of people seeking really interesting information and i'm happy to kind of be there well and that's such a special age group i've always said people that work with preschool kids and middle <laughs> school kids it's a very special part for people that seek that out you know not everybody's cut out to do those things and so i mean i think that's just incredible my hat's off to my kids pre-k teachers because they are some of the most incredible humans you know they just had really amazing developmental experiences that you know that was intentional it took a lot of work to make that happen you yeah. know and make it kid-centered and fun and friendly so kind of along that same line uh, what are some of your go-to strategies to engage younger students and get them excited about story time so i i was thinking about this question and it's really interesting because whenever i go to pick out a story for a young reader and i'm going to define a young reader sort of like age three to kindergarten early first grade and I kind of think about when I'm picking out a book for them, perhaps um, something I might want to target in that book. So am I teaching a concept? Am I going to expand vocabulary in some way? Am I retelling a story or do I want them to retell a story? Do I want them to compare something? 
or do I want them to use their own vocabulary to improve a story? So whenever I'm picking out a book, I try to target perhaps one thing because sometimes I think when we read aloud to young children, when, when we pick out a book for young children, sometimes we tend to make it busier than we need to make it. Trying to simplify it down and really think about, you know, maybe one thing you wanna, you really like this book for and target that strategy when you're reading aloud. Does that make I sense? I love that you said that. I know absolutely it makes yeah. sense. Um, one of my <laughs> friends and authors, I don't know if you're familiar with Lester Laminac and some of yes, his books. Yes, I love him. I love him so much. <laughs> and he is the same way. He always speaks about you know, just letting kids sit with that book through the first reading, not making it, oh, you have to do all these many things that go along with it, you know, making it so task oriented, you kind of suck the joy out of the read aloud sometimes if you don't just yes. give them the joy of hearing it and, and being there for that story and becoming a part of that moment, you know, there's so much they can get just from that. And I think sometimes we're so driven by the other standards that sometimes people lose sight of that. So I'm glad that you said that. <laughs> yes, yes. And so in that, since Emily, even reading one time just just for the reading purpose and going back a second time and having that guilt targeting. Um, I I like to I like to use vocabulary expansion as an example. There are several books that I love to read aloud that may have a more difficult vocabulary term in there for a four or five year old that you often need to define. And doing that the first time might not make sense, but doing it the second time when you read it, it makes a lot of sense. So when you do a second reading, it also models that it's okay to read a book more than once. Yes, absolutely. And and I was just going to say too, you know, with little guys and the picture books, so often there's some sort of visual support that gives them that context clue. And we want them to be yes. contextual. We, we want them to pull out things on their own because they're not always going to have a teacher there to say, this is what we're doing and looking for, you know? So helping them to kind of be independent with that skill is great too. You know, they don't always need those words spoon fed. This is what this means. This is what this means, you know? <laughs> right, 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 right. And, and even, even if you do plan to target a vocabulary, I have, I have even, I watched an ingenious master teacher one time and she had like two little post-it notes. She had pre-read the book. She had two little post-it notes and those were the two vocabulary words she knew her specific class probably needed some help knowing. And so she helped to, to define it in a kid term. And it was just her little visual that. And those are the moments where then you'll hear a kid later saying and using that word. And you're like, yes, they did get it. You know, yes. <laughs> you didn't have to be <laughs> over the head with it. <laughs> so what are some interactive elements that you like to use or that you think could be used by both parents and teachers to help bring books to life for their kids? Well, whenever, whenever I bring up this topic, the one thing I do like to say, and I know that you will echo me tenfold there's no wrong strategy per se. And I think any book that you pick or any strategy you use, if you're choosing to read to a young child is the right one. I mean, you've chosen to pick up a book and read, that's the first step. But I also think trying to 
you know, we, th we think about some of those books you naturally probably read to your children when they were young, such as Goodnight Moon. And you probably <laughs> noticed eventually you could pause and your child could fill it in for you. Or eventually you would turn the page and they would start reading what comes next. And so one of my favorite strategies, and I mean, I think about the book, Is Your Mama a Llama? Mm. That's a great book. Is Your Mama a Llama? And usually I can pause and someone can fill in the next word for me when we've read it a bunch. And I mean, to me, that's showing me, you know, a concept of rhyme and a concept of word, but just sort of pausing and being in the moment and seeing what the student or your child will do next, I think is a great strategy because mm -hmm. when you're in a with them. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of my classroom teaching experience was in kindergarten, first grade with those littlest yeah. learners. We're not pre-K. I didn't go quite that that far <laughs> down, but, um, you know, those, those just starting out. And you want that beginning school experience to be a positive one and to get them excited and revved up about reading because they've got a long road ahead of them, you know, and we don't want to burn them out in that first year or two. We want to make it as fun and engaging as possible. And, I know for me, um, starting in my librarianship days in COVID, you know, a lot of my um, interactive elements have been technology based because we couldn't always sit close together on a carpet or, you know, we weren't always all of us face to face in the same room at the same time. And so having all of those challenges as a new librarian you know, some of my strategies are more, you know, based on using the projector to make the story bigger so everybody can see all the pictures. And and that's something that even now that we're all allowed to sit on the carpet again, I still do that because I'm like, why wasn't I doing that before? It makes it so much easier for everybody to see and interact with the text. Um, or things like, I like to pull up a Google slide with a screenshot of just one provocative image from the story. And um, yeah. I actually got this idea from, one of the conferences I went to with the North Carolina Reading Association, and they called it the progressive reveal. They would have most of the picture covered with little blocks, uh -huh. just squares, and then they would slowly reveal piece by piece the whole picture, and you're making predictions the whole time, not telling them, not spoon feeding them any of what the story is actually going to be, but just trying to get them to think, what could this be? Where are they? What's going to happen? And their conversation is usually so much better than anything a teacher could just try to you know lead them with they come up with the wildest things it's really awesome yeah. you know? well and and you know to your point i i think that you know i think some people have gotten over technology because we were on it so much but you know there's a really real there are several really really good i mean i love to read nonfiction to younger children and mm -hmm. some of that is like i think about the book the pumpkin circle a story of a pumpkin or do you yes. know that book well, yes, the pictures are fantastic. And I mean, open that book for a young child, if for nothing else than to look at the photos. But there is a fantastic um, retelling. And I don't know, is it, is, it might even be Morgan Freeman. I don't, I don't know. But whoever tells it, tells it in such a great way that it's almost like you're reading the book. So I think mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. some of those is even appropriate with a young child, you know, to, it sort, sort of makes it 
the nonfiction aspect more fun. For sure. And, and I'll tell you another element that I've really enjoyed with my kids, and this year in particular, they've just gotten really into it, is using the Novel Effect app. Have you ever used that with your, your kids or your students? I don't you know familiar? if I know that app. Oh my goodness. I, my kids are obsessed with this this year in particular. So it's okay. if I read and I don't use the Novel Effect app, they say, are you going to uh -huh. do the one with the, with the sounds this time? You know? <laughs> Now, it, it is there's a, a certain amount that you get for free or you can pay for the full you know app i have paid for it because i feel like it's that good and i don't pay for many apps yeah. at all <laughs> but yeah. um it basically for it's kind of like when you used to read the story and you would hear like you know when you hear the little thing turn the page and you know yeah. well it, it processes what you're saying and knows when you're getting to that part and it has sound effects that pair with it so it's wow. phenomenal i mean like i think about books like room on the broom that i read in october and it has all these great noises and the kids get so excited and i mean that makes that story memorable it brings it to life they want to hear it again and again you know that's something that after you introduce it you can pop it in a station and they can enjoy it you know and, and read along, follow along many times thereafter, you know, it's, it's incredible. So I wish they had one for every book that exists because you know, it's, it's, they just love it. It gets them so excited. But speaking of some favorite read alouds, I would love to hear what your favorite read alouds are for our littlest learners and what makes these favorites for you. Okay. Well, my ultimate favorite read aloud is the snowy day. Ah, love that. <laughs> um, I am probably married to some of the classic read aloud such as that but that one's my favorite I think probably because it teaches a concept and um, there's lots to talk about about snow and snow or lack of snow so Max's Dragon Shirt by Ro Rosemary Wells is one of my mm. favorites it's a little it can be a little hard to find but um it's actually a really good one for young readers, and it has some interesting vocabulary in there. I like the book. It's called Full, Full, Full of Love, and it's by Trish Cook, and it is a fantastic... Do you know this book? It is I'm a, not familiar with okay. this one. I'm going to have to it, it, out. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a fantastic book about family traditions, um, but told in a manner that um, young readers can understand it. And um, it also has a diversity element, which I really like. And then and I like- our books for that as well, that, you know, he always ties in family and different types of families. I love his, his kid-friendly, young kid-friendly artwork. You know, they can relate to him really well for the same reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, he has some good, like, first day of school books for preschool as well, Todd mm -hmm. Barr. Mm -hmm. um, I like The Three Little Javelinas, which is um, yeah. a retelling of The Three Little Pigs, but um, just a little bit different. And then I really love the interactive nature of Mix It Up or Press Here. Ah, um, uh, Yes. <laughs> Um, especially for little kids, um, there are, I mean, there's so many like concepts to be told in those things, but also I personally love any sort of read aloud where a child wants to touch a book or interact with it more than just kind of look at me sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. it, I, I just like it. It gives it a little bit of a interesting element, but again, I've probably had smaller groups maybe than you have in the library. So maybe, you know, maybe, maybe not. But um, they're also really good if like you're listening, you know, and you haven't seen them at and you're a, a 
parent and want to buy them. Well, and you know, even with a large group, like I said, projecting the stories, I'll use yeah. a book on Epic and it's like the don't push the button yeah. kind of books. And I'll have them, you know, I'll, I'll pick someone that's sitting nicely. I'll say, oh, you get to go push the button this time. Should we push it? And everybody's like, yes or no. And they get all into it, you know. Same thing with the pigeon books, you know. I mean, Mo Williams, yeah. they are so interrupted because they want to talk to that pigeon and they are telling him what for the whole time, you know. But they are hanging on Epic word you know and that's exactly what yeah. you want you want a book that has yeah. them hanging on every word so i love that you know we talked about the read alouds for our littlest learners but as a little bonus question what are you reading right now this could be like anything or what have you read recently that you would highly recommend to our listeners so i just finished reading mad honey um uh, that's on my yeah. list yeah it's really good i'm not gonna give you any spoilers but i highly recommend <laughs> that um but my Probably my favorite book of last of this this year, since it's getting ready to be a new year, um, was Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Ah, uh, yeah, that's on my list too. <laughs> it, it, I, the character development in that book to me is incredible. Um, and I, I know I've had a lot of people tell me they couldn't get past the video game thing, and I'm like, no, push past it and. And you'll really love it um, because I don't I don't know that that element I liked or disliked that element, but the character the characters are incredible. So oh, I love that. It was well, and, yeah, uh, it was my book. Frederick Bachman. Um, I read one of his the the latest Bear Town mm -hmm. book. I can't remember the title, yes. but that was yes. the same way. The characters are what suck you in. Like you know, I'm not a big hockey fan, and that's all you know. This hockey town right. and all this. That's not what pulled me into that story. It's the people. That's really what kind of sucks me in every time <laughs> so I, I totally get that the last quintista is another one like that for me that i just this for for this year that is one of my tops you know i absolutely loved it and i tell everybody they need to read it if they haven't <laughs> i might need to put that one on my list then. yes it was a newberry winner this past year it's fantastic okay. Yes, yes. Okay. Your girls need to read it too. <laughs> Are there any other words of wisdom that you wanted to share with the audience or little suggestions or things that you love to do with a read aloud that maybe I haven't asked about yet? Hmm. That, that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I always really, really like to perhaps provide a little background knowledge if I feel like it's something that my students haven't heard about before or talked about before. Um, so I referenced the snowy day and I have very fond memories of reading the snowy day when I taught at Moorhead Primary to a group of students who probably had not interacted with snow before. And Correct. It's completely <laughs> different than I live in the Virginia mountains now and it snows a lot there. So it's a completely di different interaction and um, thinking about how I would introduce that book now Emily, I think about all the time after I left Moorhead Primary and moved to Winston-Salem and I taught a group of students there who didn't really know what the beach was. So when I would read books to them about the beach, it would be the same thing. Like we would have to really set it up. And um, for those littlest learners, sometimes you don't get that from, you know, really good context clues. Like if you were reading a chapter book and so it, setting it up in a manner um, was really important to me and it still kind of holds true because it gives them a little bit of that background knowledge before you start full on reading a book about <laughs> something they may not know. Well, and you know, <laughs> even living in a place like we live at the beach, you know, you yeah. guys live in the mountains. 
I, I take for granted that my kids have had the opportunity to go to the right. beach and we live close to the shore and things like that. But there are kids in my classes that have never driven over the bridge and right. been with their toes in the water ever. You know, they've and never been to really the aquarium other than on a field trip, you know, and yeah. it's right here in our backyard. And so I, I try to remind myself not to take anything for granted. Yeah. Um, there's there's a book snow angel sand angel that i like to use now because it does kind of give you a taste of both and since we live in a warmer area it's like okay i can i can kind of get hopefully catch everybody with one of the uh, one or the other you know and then the realia you know like from my esl background you know providing hands on things they can touch yes. and, feel and and that sensory piece that even if they've not actually gone to the beach if you have a little sand table or something they can get that experience on a smaller scale you know yeah. well and we were we, uh, when, when I was at East Carolina, this is, this is really funny. Um, there, there was a book I was reading and it had, had an escalator in it. Well, how many places in Eastern North Carolina have an escalator? I know. <laughs> but at the time, the Greenville Mall had one in like Belks and it went down like one floor. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, but if you hadn't been there, you wouldn't know. And so that is a really important element to me because, I, I mean, there are just kids who, who might not have that frame of reference. And to me, building that when they're these youngest, youngest readers getting the read alouds, their background knowledge improves so much to begin to read these harder chapter books as they age. Well, and, and I just have to keep reminding myself that this cohort of children coming through are these kids that have lived through COVID. COVID and kids. So they don't have the, the as many opportunities as yeah. kids before them may have had to be exposed to all these wonderful opportunities, you know? Um, you know, I know when we took our kids on a field trip in the middle school to see a musical at the Performing Arts Center in Durham. Again, they went to the mall for lunch. There was an escalator. The children wanted to ride the escalator instead of eating lunch because they had never seen one before. And they were in eighth grade, you know? <laughs> but they were amazed. It was their favorite part of the trip and they got to see, you know, Aladdin the musical. That was fantastic. Yeah, they remember the escalator. <laughs> well, and it's just one of those things where it's almost like you know we grew up in eastern north carolina and even living two different places now it's like we have kids we have kids who just haven't seen something one way or another wherever we live i mean my husband likes to remind me we live like 15 minutes from the Virg west virginia border mm -hmm. he says some people just haven't driven over there before like just just to see what's over there or say mm -hmm. you know and so just giving that background knowledge and think, you know, thinking about how you introduce the book. Well, and I love that our conversation has kind of gone down this little rabbit hole because it reminds me, I don't have the quote in front of me, but, you know, about how books give you a place to go when you have yep. to stay where you are. And yeah. a lot of our kids don't have the means to go, but this brings it to them. And what a powerful thing that we get to do. How amazing is that? You know, I love that. Yes. And, and I mean, I feel like books even take me as an adult places that I dream about right now. Yes. So I agree. <laughs> well, this has been so fun. I enjoyed this. I'm glad we got to catch up a little bit. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>
this one has been on my list ever since it was featured on the Tar Heel Teacher Book Club, and I absolutely loved it. This is not my typical genre because I tend to be a realistic fiction and historical fiction kind of gal, but I find myself enjoying fantasy more and more, especially with some of the amazing YA authors who are bringing works like this to the forefront. This book features a strong black female protagonist named Bree Matthews who is brilliant and draws you in from the very beginning, even before the magic and mystery begin to unfold. Without giving away spoilers, I will tell you that she's dealing with an incredibly difficult loss and she ends up going away to school at an early college program with her best friend and there's so much more to her family's loss than meets the eye. One of my favorite parts of this book is that it's set in North Carolina and her early college is part of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So for North Carolina folks or people who attended UNC, there are so many little details and Easter eggs that are fun and exciting to happen upon throughout the story. I also love that even though this story deals with old magic, going all the way back to King Arthur and Merlin and the Knights of the Round Table, we don't see Brie as a weak, helpless female character that needs rescuing. She shows again and again that she is strong and can continually defies the expectations of others. I love how this author includes diverse characters, including ethnically and gender diverse characters, in a respectful way. You can tell she made a great effort to incorporate African American history into the narrative she has so carefully crafted, not just spinning a whimsical tale, but steeping it in a rich and sometimes uncomfortable part of our na nation's history. This is a beautiful example of taking historical elements and weaving them into a fantasy narrative to make it that much richer and more believable. I literally could not put this one down and spent the better part of a full day devouring it last weekend. So be forewarned, once you start this one, I have all ideas you won't want to stop until you've reached the end. Thank goodness there's more to the series after this because I'm eagerly anticipating the next book. As we finish up here, I want to take a moment to chat about an upcoming episode. I'm working on an episode featuring listeners' favorite books, and while I try to read as many books as possible, there is no way I can read them all. So I would love to hear your recommendations, as well as why a particular book was a favorite for you, or for your students if you're a school librarian or educator. Which books do you think are already award contenders for 2023, or even just books that you really loved that stuck with you well after you finished? them. You can share with me via email or messages on Twitter or Instagram. I can't wait to hear about your favorites and add them to my to-be-read pile. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to listen and connect with me and help build our community of people who are passionate about books, libraries, and reading. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please email me at emilydgolightly at gmail.com or send me a message on Twitter at emilygolightly3 or Instagram at sorry I'm all booked with Emily G. If you want to help other listeners find this podcast community, please like and subscribe. Follow and tap that notification bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Taking a moment to give the podcast a five-star rating also helps others find our podcast among the many other podcasts out there, so I truly appreciate you taking the time to provide your feedback and help others get plugged into our community. One final way you can support the podcast is by sharing with others. The more people hear about it, the more we can grow this listening and learning community and help others find our spot on the internet. Sharing the link on your social media or telling a colleague about it can be a huge way to support the growth of this podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time. Thank you.